1: Welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, happy 2023 to you, sir. How are you?
0: We did it. We made it through 2022, and we're here for 2023. Obviously, football is done, so that's a little sad, but we got basketball to talk about. We got transfer portal, so I'm doing great. What about you?
1: Is it sad? Is it sad that football's over? I mean, just the way
0: everything went, is. are we
1: sure we're going to call it sad? Because I was I thinking guess it's not really sad. I was thinking we got a little mercy at the end of the season <laughs> there by it just straight up ending. So I, I, was, I was thankful for that.
0: I think I just, when college football ends and NFL is starting to wind down, I just, I just get sad all uh,
1: around. No, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. There's no question it's sad. I mean, really, the, the last good day of college football is wrapping up as we speak. I mean, you've got uh, USC Tulane, which was an unbelievable game. Uh, Penn State, Utah going on. But after that, that's it until the uh, national championship. And uh, I think we can – I could speak for most of us, at least, when I say go Frogs in that one. Holy cow. We don't have to open it up with them. But my gosh, I mean – What a game that was, right?
0: Yeah, all those games were wild, or both of those games, I guess. So that was a fun, fun day of college football watching. So hopefully that kind of continues in the national championship in these last few bowl games.
1: Yeah, it was a wild Saturday of sports, and it started, obviously, with something we'll talk in more detail about later. We'll open with the transfer portal here. But Oklahoma State jumping out to that 15-point lead in Allen Fieldhouse and almost almost coming away with their third ever win in that building. I mean, by the skin of KU's teeth, they got that win. Um, we'll talk much more about that. But then you go TCU, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia. It was quite the uh, 10 hours of sports there. I think my wife was thankful it was over. Happy to have the help, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that basketball game was wild. I know we'll talk about that later. But some, it was a roller coaster ride just with Oklahoma State getting out to that big lead, keeping it at half. And then KU coming back, OSU struggling to score and the ending with the possible foul. It was just, it was a lot. No question. Well, I mean, there's a lot to get
1: to, so let's just jump right into it. I know transfer portal, we are in a dead period right now. So things have slowed a little bit, but I know there's been a lot of movement with the guys that Oklahoma state has already offered. So Dustin, I'll throw it to you. And why don't we kind of walk through some of that?
0: Yeah. So the kid, you mentioned the dead period. So for high school recruiting. That's going to extend from December 19th through January 12th. But the two and four year college transfers that are going to enroll mid year can actually start visiting again as soon as I believe it is. Yes. This Wednesday. So you've seen, uh, we'll mention it when we get to the guys at Oklahoma state's offer. There's a guy that's coming to visit on January 4th, Wednesday, Wednesday, Oklahoma state. We'll talk about some Brennan Armstrong visit stuff and NC state. So you'll start to hear some of the transferring. So there, it is a dead period, but not for these transfers actually going to enroll. So a little interesting note, I actually didn't know that until recently. I I found kind of a breakdown on the, uh, it's the NCAA like recruiting calendar website. So that's pretty interesting, but like you said, just a little recap, because we haven't got to dive into the transfer portal. We did early signing day with Adam Lunt. We did the bowl recap. Oklahoma State's offered a lot of guys. I feel like, me K- if I'm wrong, I feel like they've offered, or at least offers that we found out about, almost like double yeah, last it, year.
1: It abso- I, And I haven't quantified it, but it absolutely feels like they're more active. I mean, it, it, yeah. it absolutely does.
0: And we could be wrong on that. I haven't gone back and looked either, but I just remember we talked about like Prince Pines. I don't remember seeing an offer for him, and then it's he committed and stuff like that. So it's interesting. Same, I, that happened with Sean Tyler this year, but we've got... Okay, so let me run through them real quick. I've got these marked in red. These are guys that have committed elsewhere. It's a reminder so, that you can sponsor this segment of the show. <laughs> yes, because we're diving straight into the portal. We We promised it. I know people... Look forward to us ranting about the portal, which is weird to me that people look forward to us <laughs> ranting about anything, but we, we definitely are diving in this time. And we got a question last week, back to about some guys that you and I maybe like in the portal. So I, I've got a couple of those listed as well, but let's run through these real quick. I'm just going to do name, position, school, and where they committed. Devin Phillips, that's a defensive tackle from Colorado State. He committed to KU. Joshua Braun, the offensive lineman from Florida, committed to Arkansas. Nick Gargiulio, a guy we liked out of Yale, the offensive lineman, he committed to South Carolina. Shane Cokes, another Ivy League guy, the defensive lineman from Dartmouth, is going to Colorado. Xavier Guillory, wide receiver from Idaho State. You and I had thought he may be be leaning OU because he seemed really excited about that offer, but he recently committed to Arizona State. Savion Washington, another offensive lineman we really liked from Kent State committed to Colorado. Ray Davis, the running back from Vandy, he committed to Kentucky, which it seems like kind of right off the bat that he was going to be Kentucky. I think it was the first place he visited after entering the portal. Tanner Arkin, so a string of tight ends that Oklahoma State offered. I think they're still looking because they've struck out on all three of these. Tanner Arkin from Colorado State is going to Illinois. Josh Cuevas from Cal Poly is going to Washington. And then Cole Taylor from LSU is going to West Virginia. So all three of the tight ends they offered that we know about have committed elsewhere. And then wrapping it up, another LSU commit, Paris Shan, the defensive lineman from Arizona. Jason Mattire, the defensive back from Boston College, is going to Wisconsin. Tez Johnson, who Oklahoma State just offered from Troy, has committed to Oregon. Mm. And then Dre McRae, the Austin P receiver, who I know they really like, just recently committed to Texas Tech. So it seems negative, but we knew this was going to happen. They're not going to get everybody they offer. Just like they're not going to get every high school guy they offer. Kate, who's your biggest like who are you most disappointed that they didn't land out of well is is it washington yeah i think it is it's it's actually pretty easy for
1: me i think that he was a guy that would have come in and been another competitor at that tackle spot which opens up so much for you like koweki is a tackle right but if you could move him inside i think that bolsters your position there dalton cooper has played tackle his entire career but again those pieces on the offensive line allow you flexibility, which is not something Oklahoma state has had. So I think it's actually pretty easy. Savion Washington felt like a guy that they had. And I think, you know, the, the coach prime thing has been uh, a pretty popular thing lately. And you've seen some guys who might've been leaning somewhere else, get that Colorado offer and, and make that move. So you can't blame the kid and, and hope the best for him, but there's no question. I, I was excited uh, about the idea of him committing because that would have been Oklahoma state's, I, th- I think he's a four-star on the transfer portal. If I'm not mistaken, that would have been their fourth four-star transfer portal edition. So yeah, I think that's a miss.
0: And I think he was one that Oklahoma state thought they had a shot with, which yeah. is why it's kind of disappointing. I- I'll go a, d- a little bit different direction. Cause I-, I, I agree. I think it's Washington. Another guy I thought they were probably going to land was Cole Taylor, the tight end out, out of yeah. LSU, which would have given them that kind of true tight end instead of that kind of, tight end fullback, more of a fullback hybrid that Oklahoma State's been rolling out there a lot, or the wide receiver converted to Cowboy back. This would have been more of a true pass-catching tight end that's big enough to block as well in Oklahoma State's running schemes. So that's tough, losing him to West Virginia. I I think those two guys are the biggest disappointments, but they've gotten a lot of guys. So, So it's seven so far out of the portal, and you and I both like several of those guys as... Possible contributors as early as next season. There's no question. I mean, so
1: Savion Washington got on campus, right? I think in this portal era, if you get him on campus, you feel pretty good about where you stand. You may not be number one, but you're probably front and center in their mind. Did they get Cole Taylor on campus? I can't remember if that was the case. Was he there that weekend that everybody came in? Brandon Armstrong and Washington? I believe
0: he visited. I believe he visited right before the dead period. I don't know if it was that same weekend that everybody was there. Yes, but I man, do remember yeah. seeing that he visited. Yeah.
1: So the, again, so, those are three guys. You know, I'm including Brennan Armstrong in that conversation. That Oklahoma State probably felt like that they were in pretty good position on, and you've sw- struck out on two. So let's see what happens on the third one with Armstrong.
0: Yeah, I agree. So looking at those, let's flip to the guys they've offered that have not yet committed. My favorite so part. Got- <laughs> You've got Ken Darren Ray, the safety out of Tulsa, uncommitted. He's got one year left, 6'3", 208 pounds, multi-year starter, 39 games, 26 starts, over 200 tackles, uh, one sack, one interception, 13 pass breakup, four forced fumbles, fumble recoveries. He led, he led the team in total tackles a couple seasons ago. Along with him, they've got Isaac Tesla, the wide receiver from Hillsdale College. That's a D2 school. He's uncommitted, but it looks like it's leaning pretty heavily towards Iowa. He's from Hillsdale College. Like I said, two years left, 6'4", 210 pounds. He was the GMAC Offensive Player of the Year, going for over 1,300 yards and 13 touchdowns in 11 games. I think they're looking to land one more receiver, and I think they're looking for kind of of one of those bigger receiver types. Think like a Marcel Aitman. A bigger bodied guy that they could use in the red zone, using kind of those third and long situations. So I would expect to see them maybe offer a few more of those wide receivers. But I don't think they're going to land Tesla. It sounds like he's going to Iowa. Then you've got Justin Kirkland, the defensive tackle from Utah Tech. They just offered him recently six, four, two hundred and ninety five pounds, three years left. Played 89 snaps in kind of that zero one one technique and then 522 in more of a 3-4. So he's got some experience in that interior part of the defensive line. Played all 11 games as a true freshman for Utah Tech. 40 tackles, 6 tackles for loss, 2 sacks. Broke up 2 passes, recovered a fumble, and forced uh, a QB hurry. He's more of your kind of Samuela, Sioni Asi Doesn't put up a ton of stats, but I watched a little bit of Utah Tech's game against Sacramento State, and he he wasn't he didn't jump off the screen to me, but I definitely think he would be someone they want to land, even as just a depth piece at that interior defensive line spot. And then you got two offensive linemen. Before I kick it back over to UK to tell me your thoughts on these yeah. guys, you've got Marcellus Johnson, the offensive lineman from Eastern Michigan, who they recently offered. He's only got one year left, six four, three hundred eight pounds. Every every snap, I think, except like one or two at left tackle. Three-year starter in Eastern Michigan. Was considered to be the number four offensive tackle in the Mid-American Conference this season, according to PFF. Graduate transfer, so he's only got one season left. Only allowed 10 sacks on 1,271 pass box blocking attempts, according to EFF. So this would be a guy I think you'd bring in and he'd want to start right away. And I think he's got the capability. I watched some of their game against Arizona State. And I, I liked what I saw from him. We talked about some of Caleb Etienne's lack of quickness at times. And I don't think Johnson has that, but obviously he's quite a bit smaller right, than right. that monster of a man. And then the last guy, I haven't seen an official offer reported, but Pokes report is reporting that Walter Ruse Offensive tackle from Stanford, who's uncommitted right now, obviously, is going to come in and visit on January 4th. 2,549 snaps at left tackle in his career. He's 6'8", 276 pounds, one year left. This is another guy who you would want to come in, and he'd probably want to compete for a tackle spot right away. So it seems like they are trying to bring in some guys, Cade, at left tackle. Does that... I mean, I know they want depth pieces, but the fact that they're going after guys like Johnson and Walter Rouse from Stanford, does that make you feel like the coaching staff isn't super sure about Etienne and koeki moving into next season? Well, I think it's why it's why I asked you last week how you felt about it,
1: because Marcellus Johnson, Savion Washington, Dalton Cooper, th- those are left tackle, like, starting caliber candidates. And if, if they are then you start looking at who's on the roster now. That's Caleb Etienne, that's Austin Kowecki, that's Jake Springfield. And then you start asking the logical question that you just asked me. It's, okay, well, what are they actually trying to do here? I I, I think that, and I, I think this is the right way to approach the offensive line, that no position is guaranteed right now. I mean, if you don't, if Caleb Etienne doesn't have a spot, right, which is is an assumption, let's just, I, I'm not saying that's the case, but in this hypothetical I'm playing, Let's say that is the case, then nobody truly has a spot in this offensive line nailed down. So I do love that, by the way. I'll say I love the competition there, especially as things are uh, you know, not that great up front. So I, I love what they're doing there. I also love that they're continuing to look for defensive linemen. The Utah Tech transfer seems like a depth piece. I don't know if he's a guy that you know, I I don't know if he's a guy you feel great about plugging in as a starter day one. But you look at the offer sheet, I think it says quite a bit. He's got K-State looking at him who just won the Big 12. A couple of other Power 5 schools that you could, you would love to be competing with and win a recruiting battle against. So, again, I love that they're focusing on the trenches. I think both lines need a, a lot of help. Um, and, again, I, I think with the exception of a Preston Wilson and a, and a Cole Birmingham, I think everything else is is kind of up for grabs.
0: And Kirkland would be a great guy to bring in for an AC and a Samwola because he went on the two-year church mission. So he's also older, like Asi's, I think, 26 years old. So. Hey, we need to get <laughs> Adam. We need to get Lundback back
1: on the podcast and see if they're recruiting guys that are going on church missions. That's two in a row. <laughs>
0: yeah, they're getting a lot of those guys as well. But like I said, Kirkland is a, is a guy that, you know, I, I like, I don't love as maybe a starter in that interior defensive line spot. But I do think you gotta take I, and you know I haven't I haven't been able to fully break down the film. So I want to go back and do that. But I, I just think that they've got to take it's almost like take what you can get out of there because you don't have anybody right now. I agree completely. At this point if somebody
1: with a pulse wants to come play defensive tackle for you, I think you might answer the phone. I think he's probably better than that. Um, I will say though, um, it's it's not one that's going to light up the, you know, recruiting rankings for Oklahoma state. So I know a lot of people are going to want that type of impact player and SEC transfer come in and start. I think that player probably isn't in the portal right now. And I think Oklahoma state could land one like that. But I do think there's a need for players beyond that. And I would think that Kirkland is kind of that that depth piece. And I would say they probably need another depth piece plus a, you know, ready-to-go day one starter at that defensive tackle spot.
0: I agree. And out of those guys, before we get to Brendan Armstrong, out of those guys, I-, I think the most likely guy that they land out of that is a guy like Kirkland and maybe a Marcellus Johnson. I know Walter Rouse is. From what I read on one of UCLA's 247 articles, they don't think they have a shot because he's looking for so much NIL money. Oh, wow. So it seems, I know he's coming to visit, but if that's the case, I'm not sure Oklahoma State is going to be where he ends up. But the fact that he's coming to visit is promising. I think what they're saying to him is, I mean, you're probably guaranteed a starting spot. But along with him and Johnson and Kirkland. I think those are the guys that would probably be the most likely. The t- Tesla, I don't know. And then and Ray, it seems like if they wanted and Ray, they would have already got Agreed. him. So uh, that may be a little bit more on Oklahoma State, not being super interested in that. So I, I don't know. Do you feel any different? Do you, I, I don't think they have a huge shot with Ray or Tesla. I think it'd be more just those more recent guys that yeah offered. I, I agree with you I,
1: I wonder if the Ladarius Webb you know addition into this class might have been the spot that Kendaren Ray would have ultimately got I know I think Ladarius was committed before Kendaren even entered the portal if I'm not mistaken but I would agree with you those three make a lot of sense to be a commit to Oklahoma State Marcellus Johnson feels like that would be a humongous win I mean he it feels like every power five school has come in and offered him as he's entered the portal. I mean, you go onto his Twitter, you scroll it's it's Illinois, it's Michigan, it's Minnesota, it's uh Iowa State, it's K State. It's like, okay, this is going to be one of those battles and Oklahoma State needs to get into those battles and then they need to flex their muscles a little bit uh if it's NIL, if it's, you know, uh a starting position potentially available. They they need to put a great pitch together because uh that they they need a guy like that.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Okay, so before we talk about some future potential guys they might offer in the positions of need, let's hit Brendan Armstrong real quick. We talked about him on here a bunch. The Virginia quarterback, he's got one year left, 6'2", 210 pounds. Has played at Virginia for a while, had the amazing 2021 campaign where he threw for over 4,400 yards, 31 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. Had a little bit of a drop off last year, lost his offensive coordinator, who actually now is at NC State, lost their head coach, kind of completely changed their offensive philosophy, and he did not really thrive in it. We've talked about how Oklahoma State's offensive scheme, how it is now, even though I know some people would like some of that to change run game wise. We think that would fit him better. It's more similar to what he was running at twenty twenty one in 2021 at Virginia. So Wisconsin, NC State, Auburn, and Oklahoma State have been the players that we've kind of heard are still in the mix. Wisconsin landed Nick Evers, the OU transfer, and then recently landed, I don't know if it's been official yet, but we've seen it reported in multiple places, SMU transfer Tanner Mordecai making it seem like NC State, Oklahoma State, and then Auburn is maybe kind of on the outside looking in are the only real players left for Armstrong unless somebody comes in out of nowhere. Armstrong set to visit North Carolina State on January 4th. Like I said, that's where his former offensive coordinator is. I know Pete Thamel recently came out and said he thinks Armstrong to NC State is what it looks like to him. I still think Oklahoma State has a shot here. I think it's maybe... 50 55% that he lands. Like I think it's pretty much 50-50 either NC State or Oklahoma State. But I don't think it's as big of an NC State lean as some of some of the reports that I've seen out there. Just based on what you and I have heard, I know Oklahoma State's kept in contact with Armstrong throughout this entire process, literally talking to him every day. I think there's still a shot that they land him. Well, I think there's a shot too. The question I would ask is
1: what is he waiting on? Um and I know that this is a long this is a longer process than people want to, you know, make it out to be, especially nowadays. Is Tanner Mordecai was in the portal for all of five minutes before he committed to Wisconsin, so this can be a little bit nerve wracking. And I think you look at Oklahoma State's roster right now, and you're like, okay, who's the quarterback next year? I could understand the antsiness. I, I do have a question for for him. Is like if if. It's Wisconsin, Auburn, NC State, Oklahoma State. Those, those are you know. Let let's go. Let's let's make a decision. And I I wonder where Oklahoma State fits in and all that because it's now coming on two weeks since his visit, and I think that that is a uh, indicator as to maybe where he may be thinking. I do think Oklahoma State still absolutely has a chance here. When I once heard about Brennan Armstrong to Oklahoma State, heard he was taking a visit, I thought that this was going to be done, signed, sealed, delivered in about a week, and and we're going on past two weeks. I get a little nervous as that happens, and and you know bags start dropping legally now, so we'll see what happens.
0: I'm wondering if there was some, like maybe, and this bodes bad for Oklahoma State, but maybe it was a. Anae, his former offensive coordinator at Virginia, maybe had to talk North Carolina state into Armstrong. And maybe that's what they were waiting on a little bit of a mutual, like maybe Armstrong wanted to go there. Cause he's just now taking the visit after the dead period. So maybe that was part of it. Obviously, you know, maybe it's the NIL money. He's trying to look for the biggest deal. So I think either one of those could probably be the option, but Cade, We haven't heard a ton of Spencer Sanders news and some rumors are floating around that have, that have, you know, touched our ears, tickled our ears a little bit that maybe it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that Spencer Sanders returns to Oklahoma state. You're going to break the internet with, with
1: things like that, Dustin. Um, You're right. I will say it is very strange that this has gone on so long and nothing you that Ole Miss and Auburn report is two plus weeks old now too. And I told, I said this on the podcast last week that it felt agent speaky. Pete Thamel went and talked about it today. It's the same report. Auburn and Ole Miss is the same report we've heard for weeks now. So there is not a lot on that front. And again, it's like, okay, well, if that's the case, then what would he be waiting on? I agree with you. We, we heard it together. I don't know if that's a, uh, a thing that's going to happen but it doesn't sound like it's something that can't
0: happen which is exciting I, to to just make it a little more realistic from what we've heard I, i'm i'm thinking like there's like a 30 percent chance that happens i don't think it's super high at this point and maybe we get maybe we get some more info shortly after the podcast again like i said everything can change in two days whenever the dead period ends for these guys that are going to enroll in the spring, the transfers. So we could be wrong on literally everything we're saying, (laughs) but I I do, I do think there's still a possibility there. And Kate, if if not, if it's not Sanders and it's not Armstrong, you're kind of running out of possibilities there at quarterback. And it probably, if it's neither of those guys, it may end up just being Rangel Flores and Gunnar Gundy because Austin Ani from North Texas has withdrew from the portal. I believe he's going to enter the NFL draft guys like Michael Pratt from Tulane, who we thought may enter the portal after the bowl game. He said that he's coming back to Tulane. So it's just, there's not a ton of guys still out there. There are a ton of guys still out there. There's not a ton of guys out there who it's like, do you really want to bring that guy in as opposed to just letting Rangel Flores and Gunnar Gundy develop? Yeah, I, I think it's a valid question
1: and I think it's why it's concerning that Armstrong is kind of strung this out a little bit. I I don't know. We've talked about this, so I'm not going to rehash this, but the idea of a Rangel Flores and Gunnar Gundy quarterback room next year puts you in a position to where you're, you're probably fighting for that sixth win at some point next season. So, uh, and I'm not being pessimistic by saying that. I just think that's the reality. So, I've said Oklahoma state needs a, a quarterback in the portal, but it's not just any quarterback. It is a starting day one, ready to go one year, you know, stopgap kind of player. If they can't go get that, then I, I don't take it. I don't take a quarterback in this class. You go give it to a an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. That's a depth piece. Don't go take a, a an Austin Oni, for example, don't go take that person, go get somebody who's going to win you some games next year, or don't go get anybody. And I'll say, I would welcome back Spencer with open arms, and I'd print some T-shirts with his name on him just if he needed me to. So if I can sweeten the NIL pot a little bit, uh, consider that an offer. Non-binding. I think, the
0: only, <laughs> I think the only player you and I may have burned a bridge with on here is Braylon Presley, so we'll take any of the other guys back.
1: So. Well, we'll delete that podcast if he ever comes <laughs> to his senses, so nobody ever heard anything from us about that.
0: Um, A couple of notes, kid, Before we before we get into some of the... Uh, kind of Twitter questions around other guys in the portal and things of that nature. Braden Cassidy announced he's coming back. He'll be back another year. Cowboy back Braden Cassidy, which I think that's great to have depth depth there. Jason Taylor, it seems like from everything we've seen reported, he's either going to enter the draft or come back to Oklahoma State. He's not going to transfer. I believe he actually said that in a post-game presser after the bowl game. And then, folks report Robert Allen in a recent article made mention that if Oklahoma State is able to land a tight end, a true tight end out of the portal, they may use Blaine Green more as a wide receiver. Oh, wow. Next season with Cassidy coming back as well. It sounded like that was something he had heard from the coaching staff. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then, you know, we've got a ton of questions in the past about the coaching changes so the afca convention the coaches convention that gundy always attends where you know he's interviewed guys at this convention i know you know we were talking off air with some friends about McIndoo. that's where McIndoo was interviewed and hired at that at that convention so that's january 8th through 10th so i would expect if you're going to hear something about coaching changes or rumors or guys that have been interviewed it would be around that time period so when we podcast next wednesday that convention will be over so we i think we should have some at least rumors of coaching news by that point february 1st is national is national signing day and then the transfer portal closes on january 18th and doesn't open again until may 1st so by january 18th we will have a good idea of what the oklahoma state roster looks like of guys that were on the team last year be coming back or leaving so we should know in the next two weeks if anybody else is going to leave you can you can commit whenever you just can't enter again right until the may 1 through 15 so just some notes i wanted to hit and i think you know the brayden cassidy stuff the blaine green maybe moving back to wide receiver along with quarterback offensive defensive line i think tight end I think they were going to end this transfer portal cycle with another tight end.
1: Well, I I think they have to. And I mean, it's really interesting to hear that little tidbit about uh, Blaine Green, because it makes total sense if they were to go to a scheme like that, where he would be Probably too undersized for a position like that. He's a really good flex player in an H back spot, but he's he's probably too undersized to play that inline tight end where they're going to want to use you in a you know downhill blocking type of scheme. I wouldn't really love Blaine Green in that in that position, but um, I think there would probably a way, be a way you could fit in an H back and an inline tight end onto this roster, no problem. So I'm all for more creativity. Um, I don't think you have to have one or the other uh, in this regard, and you know what, if Blaine Green's your best uh bet at the H back spot and it's a personnel thing. Keep him to where you could you could alternate him there or at receiver or inline tight end if you needed to, but uh or take an inline tight end if you needed to. So I love the idea of that. Um and it'll be good to know kind of where things stand. I, I would expect something on Armstrong here within the next week or two. And if not, it's gonna be really weird. I mean I I it's got to wrap up here soon, I would think.
0: I would If I was betting, I would say we hear something after this visit to NC State, maybe like the next day, day after. I think by Friday of this week, we hear something. Yeah. So I I agree with you.
1: That would be great. I would just either love to like know one way or another, and then let's (laughs) move on. Let's go drop a bag. Let's go pay a visit to Spencer and see what he's up to. Probably on a duck boat (laughs) somewhere.
0: Okay, Cade. This is the first time we're doing it this year. We're diving into the (laughs) portal. of guys that you and I just, well, I'm going to run some names and you tell me which ones you like. These are some guys. So what I tried to do, and we got a question on this last week from glory cowboy at go Sankar. So thank you for that question. He basically said outside of DTs and O-line, but we're going to, I'm going to give you like, I think, I think it's seven guys, maybe eight. And you tell me what you think. I'm just going to do name position, And maybe like one quick stat on them so we don't take forever on this. It's not just me rambling forever. (laughs) So we think, you and I think, I'm not going to do quarterback, even though we know that's a position of need because we just talked about quarterback a lot. You and I think offensive tackle, interior offensive line, even though I think Oklahoma State might be offering tackles now, but we'll do a couple interior guys. Then wide receiver, a big bodied guy. And a tight end, I think, and obviously defensive line. So I think those are the guys. So I've got a couple of names for you and you let me know what you think. And these are all guys that have entered after the dead period. I didn't want to do anybody before that, because I think if Oklahoma state hasn't offered them and they haven't committed somewhere, there's probably something going on behind the scenes. So I, I, I'm not saying they might not land a guy like that, but that's just how I did this just for sake of making it a little bit easier to discuss. But Okay, so let's look at some interior offensive linemen. We've got Tyrone Sampson Jr. He is from Fresno State, senior, 6'3", 295 pounds. He played both guard spots in center. So he should come in, I think, with two years of eligibility left because he hasn't redshirted and he should have his COVID year. So Tyrone Sampson, Fresno State, has not committed anywhere yet. Then you've got Ethan White, another interior offensive lineman. He's a junior from Florida. Played over 1,300 snap guard and 206 at right yard. So he'll have a couple of years of eligibility left. Spencer Lavelle played 471 snaps at right guard. So he hasn't played a lot in his time at Cal. He's a redshirt senior. But again, he's a guy that's been at Cal for that long and played sparingly every single year. And he'd come in with one year left. And then you going over to the defensive side of the ball, you've got Mosiah Nasil kite Redshirt senior defensive lineman, 6'2", 300 pounds from Maryland. Played over uh, 1,220 snaps at defensive line for Maryland. So that would be a guy I think could come in right away and maybe start. You got Darius Jones, another defensive lineman, junior, 6'4", 285 pounds from Texas A&M. Only played in 238 snaps over three seasons, but he was a pretty highly rated high school guy and I think could be a depth piece there. We'll look at, uh, I, I threw one running back on here, just cause if Nixon or somebody were to leave, I've got Rashad right. Amos from South Carolina, didn't play a lot at South Carolina, but he's six foot, 213 pounds. I think they're looking for a guy that could maybe come in and play that Deandre Jackson role. I just don't know how they feel about Jackson going into next season. So I think they're looking for another big bodied guy, uh, a little bit out of order here. Sorry. With a sinner. <laughs> It's from okay. uh, UCF, over 2,600 snaps at center, 70 at left guard. His name is Matt Lee. He's a 6'3", 300-pounder, I believe, from UCF. He just entered the portal. Uh, a couple wide receivers. Tyrone Broden. He is a, I think he's like 6'7", from Bowling Green. Sheesh. He's got two years left. I think that would be a big body guy. I know, I know Pittsburgh, some big schools are offering him. And then I wanted to end it with a couple of tight ends. Jacob Jenkins from Coastal Carolina, two years left, only 17 receptions for 202 yards and five TDs in his career. But I, I like his size and he's like a true tight end. And then Caden Presscorn from Memphis last season, he had seven touchdowns, 48 receptions. He's played over a thousand snaps. I think he has two years left, six, five, 260 pound guy. I think he would be a big time get if they were to land somebody like that. Again, none of these guys are linked. I think my favorites are Presscorn. I really liked Sampson, and I like Nasil Kite, the defensive <laughs> lineman from
1: Maryland. You are gonna hate me because I was gonna say Presscorn and Sampson were my favorite as well. I like I like no, this. I think they. I are. like the size from the Fres- Fresno kid, and I like uh, You know, it sounds like he's he played that position quite a bit and has some real end game snaps. I'll say though. Jenkins from Coastal Carolina, five touchdowns, he's been used in positions where he's going to have a chance to run a route and catch a ball. So uh, that's better than some of the uh, other options on the roster at this point. So uh, I would take that in a heartbeat if they're looking for an inline tight end. Did we talk about the kid from UMass, I think, that was offered recently? Did he commit somewhere else already? I'll find his name. I'll find his name if I'm dropping a bomb on
0: him. I think so, Kate. I'm a little. I think the only thing I'm a little confused about is if they aren't going to offer any interior offensive linemen, That's got to mean that Maholski and Materko are coming back, right? I would think so, right? I mean, which, I mean, again, that's behind
1: Birmingham and Brooks. So that's your really Birmingham
0: sexy- Brooks Wilson. Yeah, right. So you got you basically have a center and two. And then behind them, a guy that can play center or guard, and a guy that started for you basically all season at guard. I just can't see Materko taking a step back.
1: Yeah, I would think that that spot's going to come open, right? I mean, he's 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 a senior now, isn't he? And this is this would be yeah. his last year of eligibility. I would wonder if that's a a, a slot. It's a really good uh, point by you. If they take an offensive lineman. Even if they don't, is he going to be comfortable taking that step back? I'm not sure. Um, maybe so. Maybe he was, you know, knowingly playing a little bit out of out of position. So we'll see. That the UMass transfer I was talking about was Josiah Johnson. I'm sorry if you said his name. He's UMass tight end, uh, and I think he got an offer a couple of days ago. So um, an interesting prospect there.
0: Yeah, I think they're definitely going to take a tight end. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Yeah. Okay, that's that's all I had in the portal. We dove we dove deep in. We <laughs> hadn't really got a chance to do it yet because Oklahoma State had offered so many guys right off the bat. So we didn't have a chance to go looking for ourselves. Well, and then they
1: they offered so many guys, and then those guys were committed either here or elsewhere. And it was like, Okay, well, we got a lot to talk about anyway. So it happened so fast. I I I hope that Savion Washington isn't the one that got away, but I feel like he's going to be a guy that, you know, even with an improved offensive line, which I think Oklahoma state is going to have, he's going to be a guy. I think they're, they're going to have wanted to have on that roster, but if they go get somebody Marcellus Johnson, for example, go get another starter ready, you know, offensive tackle. And and I think the trajectory of next year changes a little bit.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It's going to be interesting to see, like I said, it's the thing that I'm most interested in actually, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm interested in guys committing, but I'm going to be interested to see who else leaves from Oklahoma State. Yeah, I would expect maybe one or two more. The fact that it's been about a week since the bowl game, though, and we haven't seen anybody enter, maybe nobody else, but you've got, what, still... Two weeks, two full a weeks. over yeah. two weeks, yeah. So I, I bet we see another name or two in there. So that'll be interesting to see. And then once that gets kind of finalized, we can start really diving into the depth chart and what that will look like next year.
1: That's going to be fun too. Uh, everybody knows how much you and I love the depth chart discussion, so that should be exciting. And I, I do think there's going to be some movement. I, I'm still curious to see where it is on Oklahoma State's roster right now. If they lose a wide receiver. The question that immediately is who because they're they're not over the top deep at receiver like they have been. And so if they were to lose somebody at receiver, it would likely be somebody that 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 you kind of like, uh, which would be unfortunate. But that might be the case. You know, if you look down the offensive line, you know, I, I do think you can afford to take a hit to a depth piece if you're willing to replace that person in the portal. So um, a whole lot of moving parts. I think I think priority one, two, three for me. It's offensive line, it's defensive line, it's quarterback. I think it's it's that simple. Do you have any other, you know, kind of opinion on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think you have to include quarterback on there if you want to be a contender next season. Now, if if Oklahoma State is looking to just develop these younger guys, I'm not gonna be that mad about that because I I do, you know, in the past I've wanted maybe some of the younger guys to play, even if it was going to be probably not that high of a ceiling win total conference championship year. Developing these guys for the future is sometimes, you know, a good thing, but in this case, I think Oklahoma state's got the pieces to add a more experienced transfer quarterback and actually have a shot at the big 12 championship. So I I hope that they add somebody, but if they're just adding someone to add someone, like we talked about earlier, I would rather just develop. develop Yeah, that's a, that's a mistake. I think you can use that
1: scholarship elsewhere if that's the plan. So Anyway, we've, we've beat that dead horse. Go get a quarterback and make it a good one. (laughs) That's, that's (laughs) the plan. Dustin, anything we're good on the transfer portal. We waited deep, but we're out. We've dried off. I think we're right. Are we, we're going into recruiting. We're going into hoops.
0: I can't keep up with, I think we go straight into basketball with, with the dead period still going on for high school recruiting. There's, there hasn't been a ton of news, so I think we move straight into basketball. Well, let's do it before we get to basketball. Let's take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors. Check out Homefield Apparel's new
1: Oklahoma State line. I don't know if you have. I know Dustin and I both are rocking the new Homefield Apparel shirts that have just gone live on their website at homefieldapparel.com. I mean, the curse of cowboys across the chest is absolutely gorgeous. I don't know if you guys have seen the Pistol Patty t shirt, but it is great as well. And Homefield Apparel is doing phenomenal stuff even outside of Oklahoma State sports. If you go on their website right now, you can see potential future Big 12 members Colorado with a throwback t-shirt on their website. I'm just a big fan of Homefield stuff and the quality is unbelievable. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. And when you use our promo code feels 12, you actually will get a discount. That's right. Feels 12 will get you 15% off your first order. When you use our promo code feels 12 at homefieldapparel.com. Check them out right now and tell them that the feels like 45 podcasts. All right, Dustin, this has been an interesting start to Oklahoma State season in every game that they've played, maybe minus the game at Connecticut, who was, I don't know if you know this, they were the number two team in the country on Saturday. Uh, so I think you're you're willing to throw that one. away. They have played two top four teams on the road already this season, by the way. I'll just throw that out there. Crazy stat. And usually that happens and they're all in the Big 12. It's not the case this year. But Oklahoma State has been really competitive in a lot of these games. They've had big leads in a lot of these games, and they continue to find ways down the stretch to not be able to score the basketball. And ultimately, that's what happened in Lawrence. I mean, it was a – obviously, Oklahoma State jumps out to a 15-point lead at halftime. John Michael Wright hits the three at the buzzer to send it to 15. They shot 50% in the first half from three, which you had to know was going to cool off at, at, at a point but it did It did happen, and Oklahoma State couldn't supplement that offense elsewhere, and ultimately, what's so important now in Allen Fieldhouse is the first five minutes of the second half, and Oklahoma State, you knew this was coming. You you feared it was coming, and it did, and, and Kansas jumps out to really, I mean, they they erased a 15-point deficit in, in less than six minutes of game time, and I, I'll give credit to Oklahoma State for staying in it as long as they did in the second half with how quickly that lead deteriorated, but Overall, Dustin, I think if you would have told me they lose by two in Allen Fieldhouse, I would have taken it. I think it's the manner in which it happened that really stings going, you know, looking at it from two days ago.
0: Oh, yeah. If you tell me they lose by two, I mean, they've what? So I think I wrote down that they've won three times in Allen Fieldhouse in the past 20 seasons and KU has won 31 conference openers in a row. Yeah, it's insane back to when Roy Williams was in like one of his first three seasons or something like that. So it's not a game you go in as a fan expecting to win. Although Oklahoma State has played Kansas very well, especially at home in recent years. So we 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 know that. But I tweeted out a stat, Kate, about John Michael Wright and games when he scores eight or more points. The Cowboys going into this game were six and oh, and they were two and four when he scored less than that. We talked about it previously on the podcast that. And Mike Boynton has talked about it in his pressers. This is a guy that needs to score. And when he does, you know, I mean, Oklahoma State, what? He, he had a really good game this game, and they were able to keep it really close. So I think when Wright, Wright is a huge, huge factor on the offense, not just as the point guard and facilitator, but he has got to score points because when he does, this Cowboy offense operates at a completely different level well and he's he's heating up right now he's he's got he had
1: 19 against kansas he's got 10 in the first half against west virginia tonight so to your point he's got to be an integral part of this offense and he's got to take shots i think that was one of the things that jumped out to me was his um aversion to taking shots and i think especially with avery anderson he's regressed from the three point line he's shooting 22% from three on the year. I think you've got to have a guy that can step up and make those shots. And it appears to be John Michael, Wright Right now. I'll look at a guy in Bryce Thompson too, who we talked about at the beginning of this year as being painfully inconsistent. It seems like he's starting to find his shot a little bit. 23 in his old gym at at Kansas. I think that's a career high. If I'm not mistaken, seven is career high seven threes hit a massive one at the end of that game to take the lead and Oklahoma state gave it right back on the other end. But he is a guy that I think if you've got that one, two punch in the backcourt, you look at Avery Anderson who, if he can just put some things together and he, he, you know, his shooting has regressed. He still turns the ball over. He still makes those mistakes that he's made since you and I have been friends. I mean, that's, it literally feels like that feels like he can't, can't turn that corner. So now you look at the backcourt of being John Michael Wright, Bryce Thompson. That's your one-two punch. And then you look down low. Who do you have as a reliable scoring option? It it appeared to be Caleb Boone at the beginning of the year, but it's kind of a revolving door in terms of offensive production. Musa Cisse is still the star of that show, but it is a bit of a revolving door as to what you can expect. Cisse's got six tonight, but that – it hasn't always been the case. So I think they're just looking for a little more consistency on the offensive end. They would have loved that in Lawrence. Cause I think if they get anything out of Caleb Boone or Avery Anderson,
0: I mean, anything they win that game going away. Yeah, I agree. And what you said about Bryce, I mean, he's in the past five games, he's 20 of 37 from three 54%. Yeah.
1: That's it. insane. And it, they're it's- good shots.
0: Yeah, and if he can, if he can just stay even remotely close to that, I mean, I know he's not going to stay at fifty four percent, but it, his average, I think, coming into the KU game was thirty six point five. If he can hover around forty, that's big time, and stay that way for the rest of the season. And then John Michael Wright, you were talking about how many like his amount of shots. I'm fine with him taking fifteen shots. Oh, I, I love mean, it. 15's probably maybe a little high, but. I don't want games where he's taking three or four shots. If he's going to play 33 minutes, he's got to shoot. He's got to facilitate. You know, he had three assists in this game and four turnovers. I'm fine with it because Oklahoma State as a team only had 13, which, you know, they've, they've gotten around 20 in multiple games this season. We've seen that be a big issue. Hey, you really capitalized off of those turnovers in the second half in this one. But I think John Michael Wright needs to continue to play games where he's this aggressive on the offensive end and if that means Avery Anderson becomes the guy taking the third most shots I don't know if I hate that I
1: think you I think you would probably be pretty okay with that because the result of that is your two best shooters are the ones shooting the ball Avery has been this way since he started his career at Oklahoma State he's better off the dribble he's better when he's going towards the rim and I, I don't like him as a spot-up shooter. He was 32% from three last year. He's down to 22% this year. I think when things are moving and he can step into a shot, that's better. But when he's taking it in the half court, it's usually not a very good shot unless he's going to the basket, stopping on a dime and fading away. That seems to be his best bet offensively. So I, I agree with you. If he's your third scoring option in the backcourt, I think you got to feel better about that rather than there were times this year where he was your number one scoring option. So this is what we had hoped to see was the, the lights start to turn on offensively. I think you would have loved to see it happen in the second half of some of those games that they lost because right now the record sits at eight and five. They've got a, uh, a formerly ranked West Virginia. They just slipped out of the top 25 in this week's poll, but another tough game and the Big 12 doesn't get any easier. I think you would have loved to maybe get that one against UCF. Get one, uh, I think they they also lost a 20-point lead, uh, Southern Illinois. I think you would have loved to get a couple of those and feel a little bit better about your record. Ultimately, though... I do like this team. I think they're coming into their own a little bit, and they're getting production down the bench from guys like Woody Newton, Caleb Asbury. Um, even I saw, I saw Bernard Kuma step in for a, a uh, injured Musa Sese <laughs> tonight. Hopefully, that's not anything too serious. But again, I, I think this team is is starting to gel a little bit, and it has to happen because it's Big Twelve play.
0: And that's the thing you're going to have to beat some of these teams that are ranked in the Kim Palm top 40, because that's pretty much every team in the big 12.
1: Your conference. Yeah.
0: And you know, you already lost one to KU. They're, they're going to be a tough team to beat even at home. So you're going to have to beat some of these other teams twice. Cause you and I talked about, I think you've got to get to around nine wins. Yeah. And and that's considered for
1: the tournament. That's what ESPN FPI projects. They have Oklahoma state at eight to nine wins in, in conference play. So that's right there on the bubble.
0: That's going to be a lot of big wins. I, I mean, every one of those wins is going to be a really, really good win and a really, really tough opponent that they're going to have to beat aside from maybe the miss, the old miss game in the SEC uh, Big 12 challenge. But I mean, they're still, I think they're like 70 on Kim Palm. So not, not just absolutely terrible. But, you know, they go, we, we talked about this. They're playing West Virginia right now as we're recording. They've got Texas at home. Then they go to K State, they go to Baylor. Bedlam at home, Iowa State, and then Texas again, all of those teams are ranked by Ken Palm 45 or better. Well, to, to to hammer that home even further, I saw this today
1: and I'm sure you saw it. The top 10 teams with in terms of strength of schedule are every Big 12 team. Every big 12 team is ranked in the top 10 of strength of schedule because they all have to play each other. And Oklahoma State, interestingly enough, ranks at the last of that group because they just played on the road at Kansas. So it is an absolute buzzsaw. And you're right. They're going to have to, you know, you wish you could have stolen that one at Kansas because you got to go on the road against a Baylor and a Texas and and an Oklahoma and a West Virginia games that are extremely difficult to win. You would have really liked to to steal that one ultimately which is what it would have been but that makes tonight's game against West Virginia all all the more important because what you can't do is start 0 and 2 and then welcome the number 6 Texas Longhorns into Stillwater on Saturday which will be an awesome game I'll be there by the way so it'll
0: be great <laughs> and I did Kate I did think you know in that KU game the fact that Wright was taking more shots the fact that I know you mentioned to me off air about Caleb Boone and say that, you know, coach Boynton taking one of them off the floor because KU plays a little bit smaller and they were kind of getting, having some trouble getting stuff going a little bit early on and needed to mix things up. So Mike Boynton is making adjustments. The players are obviously making adjustments that they've, that we've wanted to see throughout the non-con. It's a little frustrating that it takes so long and that it takes until you play an opponent like Kansas to play up to this level. But if they can continue playing how they played against KU and you know, they've got what, while we're recording a nine point lead at halftime over West Virginia, if they can get this win and move into these next couple of games and win a couple of them, I know in my, in terms of my thoughts on this team, it it would really kind of flip things on their head because even though they only what came out of the non-con with, I think it was four losses. Yeah. It just seemed really disappointing with some of the opponents on the schedule. And if they're able to win a couple of these early big 12 games, play played that Kansas game really close. I think that'll really kind of ignite the fan base.
1: Yeah, there's no question. and It needs it. I don't know. I'm sure you got the game on in front of you. The student section is thin tonight, but when you have number six Texas coming into your building, that's going to be a packed house. It always is for that type of game. And that's a game that FBI projects like you're, that's a coin flip type of game. You're going to have every shot to win that one. And that you could get this thing started in a two in one direction And I think you have to, Dustin, right? Because it does not get easier at Kansas State, at Baylor, Bedlam at home, and then Iowa State coming in. If you can steal one, if you can steal one against Texas next week, you could start this thing reasonably expecting four and three in conference, which would be, I think, the best start in a while in terms of conference play for Oklahoma State. So it's a big stretch for for the Cowboys right here. I think getting off on the right foot in conference play, it's just not something they've experienced, and I wonder what this team would do with a little momentum behind them because it seems like every time they take a step forward, they take a step back. And this, historically, Dustin, a nine-point lead against West Virginia at home in a must-win game feels like the type of game that typically slips away from them at the end of this game. So absolutely important
0: to go ahead and seal this one. And, K, do you know who the two leading scores are for the Pokes right now in this game? Say it. I know John you know Michael Wright and Bryce Thompson so it's got to be the case I, It's it's got to be the case going forward and you know you and I we're not taking shots at Avery no. I think th- those are just the guys that need to be the two leading scorers and Avery should be you know a guy that's getting to the free throw line a guy that's playing amazing defense on Grady Dick from KU yeah and amazing defense pretty much all season because he's so fast but I think if Avery can kind of Accept that role, which I know might be hard to do, especially preseason all Big Twelve Honoree. I think this team can start clicking on all cylinders.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think that Big 12 is as deep as ever, but I think the middle of the Big 12 is gettable. And I think that's where Oklahoma State's gonna have to make their hay this year. Go steal one or two against a Texas Baylor or KU um, and then go go win the games you need to and defend the home court. So huge one tonight. Bryce Thompson. Uh, John Michael Wright need to be the guys, but if you can get some consistent production and and really just not anti-production from Avery Anderson, this team should be pretty darn good and tough to beat, especially on their home floor. So I'm excited and I was not excited. I'll be completely honest with you. (laughs) After that you Connecticut loss after the UCF loss. I'm like, Oh my goodness.
0: Well, And with all the transfer portal stuff and kind of the end to the season, it, it was hard to get pumped about basketball when they weren't just blowing out some of these non-con games. We thought they should, you know, be handily winning or at least, you know, winning even in close games. Yeah. I mean,
1: well, and again, every game they played in the non-conference outside of Connecticut was a tight game. I mean, Virginia tech was a gettable game. Central Florida was just an epic collapse. They they have been in every game they've played in. They just got to figure out a way to win. So that's
0: that's the way I'm yeah. seeing it right now. Kate, okay, before we get to Twitter questions, I did have one quick recruiting note for basketball. Yeah. That was kind of interesting. I think you saw this. We we were talking about it earlier, but Oklahoma State offered Dayton Forsyth from Dale yeah, High I School love it. in Oklahoma. The the reason why he's interesting, I think, is because Dale's a 2A school and Oklahoma State offered him a day after he dropped 34 points, had 10 rebounds and five assists as Dale beat 5A Tulsa Memorial. (laughs) So they beat them 59 to 52. He was 10 of 15 from the field and 10 of 10 from the free throw line. If you haven't watched his huddle tape, I would say go do it. He's like a 6'3, 180, 185. Pound combo guard that has incredible athleticism and a really, really pretty mechanically sound outside
1: shot. Well, him and Connor Dow are kind of the guys that we've been asking for Oklahoma State to recruit for a long time. Obviously, yes, go get the David Castillo's, the Cade Cunningham's, the Musa Continue to get those guys. But can we get some just consistent outside scoring and, and a solid Fundamental three to four star guy. That's what Connor Dow is. That's what foresight is. And I I like both of those guys. Be an interesting get.
0: And I think the issue with sometimes with players that you know are just great shooters is you think about them on the defensive end. But I think Forsythe has the athleticism to be. I'm not saying he'd be an all-world defender, but I think he'd be a better defender. You know, you think of a typical just three-point specialist type guy. So um, I I think he'd be a big get. I did see he got an OU offer, and I think he visited there recently. Apparently he's an OU fan, so not great news there. But his current offer list, Oklahoma State kind of leads that outside of OU with Drexel, Loyola, Chicago. ORU, Portland Rice, so I think it's definitely a guy they can get if they can beat out OU, and I think it'd be a good get, even though he's a three-star, 2 a guy. I really like what I've seen on
1: film. Well, I think with that last note, you got to be a little concerned about his character with what you just said there, so that would be a red flag.
0: All right. Well,
1: Dustin, let's go ahead and get to questions. We've actually got one on on Anchor this week, which we didn't last week, so we'll go ahead and do that. Here's one from Carly. Hey, guys.
0: It's Carly Gatlin. I know I haven't called in in a while, but I've been listening and um, I really appreciate the way you guys conduct this podcast. My <laughs> Thank you, Carly. Is what are three things that can happen this off season for you guys to feel like next season is, has the potential to be really successful? Um, for instance, I think everyone agrees that we need some coaching changes and we need a QB in the transfer portal, but what is a transfer portal QB snag that's going to really excite you? Is it Armstrong? Do you think that um, that'll be enough for next year? What coaching changes exactly do you think um, will lead us back to (laughs) a big 12 championship? Is it bringing on Keel Gundy? Is it um, bringing in somebody new? Let me know. Thanks.
1: It's a great question, Carly. I know we hit on a lot of that, but you know, I'll kind of zero in on the discussion around kind of Brennan Armstrong. I I do think he's the kind of player that's the difference between six and nine wins next year. I and and that nine wins puts you in the conversation for competing for a Big 12 title. So I don't I don't know if Oklahoma State's a playoff contending team with a Brennan Armstrong. I'll say this, I do think they could be with a Spencer Sanders because I know what you have in Spencer Sanders. So if they're able to f- somehow pull him back out of the portal, I would think that that elevates Oklahoma State, which it's crazy to say playoff after a you know, seven and six season in the way everybody's thinking. But you just have to look at the you know potential of the roster at that point. I do think that's a Big 12 title contending and then you know fringe playoff roster if a Spencer Sanders is back on it but they've got to shore up. And I think it's, I don't think quarterback's the most important thing because I don't think it matters if you can't shore up the offensive and defensive lines. So I'm not even going to coaching is, is something we've talked a ton about, but I think that the things I just listed matter more than, you know, those personnel changes on the staff and those personnel staff changes on the staff. I do think some are coming, but I don't think they're ultimately going to be the thing that gets Oklahoma state back to Dallas next year.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And Thank you so much for the question and the kind words about the podcast. Really appreciate that. I think Kate, I, I agree with everything you said. If you want me to kind of stick, I'll answer it a little bit differently. I'll go with, with some of the guys that we talked about. I'll try to pick three kind of things that need to happen for me to feel really good about, it. you know, possible big 12 championship next season. So let's just for sake of argument, let's say no Spencer Sanders. Cause obviously that would be yeah. number one. If they land Brennan Armstrong, if they were to land a Walter Rouse. The offensive tackle from stanford and if they were to land kirkland and maybe one other interior defensive lineman that even if it's just another depth guy like kirkland just it, i'm fine with rotating in the interior defensive lineman what I'm, I'm what you and i have talked about is we don't even know who's going to play that sione sc spot outside of samuela who we're not even 100 sure is coming back so do all three of those that's Brendan Armstrong. I'll, I'll be specific. Brendan Armstrong. I'm not just saying a quarterback. Brendan Armstrong, Marcellus, I mean, not Marcellus Johnson, which he would be a good get too, but Walter Rouse from Stanford and then Kirkland and one other interior defensive lineman to be named at another time. So need need two of those guys. And I would feel like what we're returning, i still think they could go get another receiver. They could go get a tight end. But I feel like if you get those guys and with what Oklahoma State's returning, I think they're a legit Big 12 title contender next season.
1: Man, I I love your optimism, and I I don't disagree. I just want it to happen. I think that's a big wish list you just laid out there. I want it to happen, but I think it's a big wish list, so we'll see.
0: and I think it's a little difficult. I think it's a great question, and I know you touched on it a little bit. I think it's a little bit difficult to do the coaching changes thing Agreed. because when you when you ask that question, I mean, obviously, you and I could name even off probably off the top of our heads some offensive coordinators we think would be better than Casey Dunn, but we're not so much saying that they need to get rid of casey dunn at this time and we laid out some reasons why you know if you're going to bring in a guy like armstrong why completely change the offense just bring in one guy who doesn't know the offense and everybody else can help him learn it <laughs> so I, I don't really want to answer that one just because you know i could say you know, hey let's go get i mean you're you afraid know, switch gundy for nick saban or something i mean yeah. you know what i'm saying like it's, afraid- it's kind of a hard one to answer <laughs> you afraid gundy's gonna call you an ass is that what you're saying yeah. No, no. I mean, I would gladly list off offensive coordinators that I think are better than Casey Dunn because I think there are quite a few, but I'm not saying Oklahoma State has a chance to get any of those or that they should move on until we know what's going on with the quarterback situation.
1: I think we stick that conversation in our back pocket. I think we've also already on a previous podcast listed kind of some guys we think would be impactful. So agreed with you. Maybe we'll talk about that another time.
0: Yeah, I love that question. Okay, so, Kate, on Twitter, just to hit a couple from last week, uh, we'll probably run through a lot of these from last week and this week that we've already hit on. We might have to run through them kind of quickly because we talked about some of this stuff already. But uh, Hayden, at Hayden M underscore OKSt, he says, I want to be a homer and say it was just injuries that caused this year to be bad. Am I right, hopefully? I I really think, I mean, the injuries on the offensive line were... Even on the defensive line with Evers and Lacey, those are two guys that you thought were going to be starting the entire season. I know you'd lose Lacey a little bit farther in Spencer Sanders going down after he was really on pace to possibly be a Heisman contender at the end of the season. And I don't even think that's a far fetched statement to make. I just, I don't think you can blame it completely on that because the run game needed to be better, way better than it was, but injuries took a huge toll on this team. Yeah. I I even showed it with that, with that table, that offensive line table. I know that's a, that data is a little skewed because there are other factors, but Oklahoma state had the lowest percentage of game one starting offensive lineman that finished the season out of anyone else in the big 12. It would
1: be one thing to be revisionist about this and have never had talked about the injuries all season. And then at the end of the season say, Oh my gosh, we'll look at how injured they were. But we talked, we've talked about this every week on the podcast since it started, since the season started injuries just piled up. And I think some think that might be a convenient, you know, reason for things that happened this season. I, I, I don't think you would be, um, you know misunderstood by saying that i do think that they were an absolutely huge mitigating factor and i would say if the injuries on the offensive and defensive lines didn't take place i think it's the difference between seven and nine wins at least because i i look at you know the games they lost against west virginia and kansas do you not think that with a uh with a healthy offensive and defensive line that they don't win those games, Kansas, you know, they, they weren't very competitive in that one, but it was because of the lines. I, I really yeah. think even Wisconsin had, they had a better offensive line. I think that game looks a little bit different. So it, it, I can see how people think it feels convenient, but I promise you that's, that's where I land on it. I, if they've got to stay healthy and that's why we keep harping on the need to recruit those spots this year because they can't stay healthy there.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Southern boy sports podcast at S O underscore boy underscore sports asked, how do the Cowboys stand in terms of big 12 standings in the next couple of years? And basically what the, I think it's, uh, it's kind of circling around the new entry. So Houston, UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, how does that impact OSU's chances moving forward? Man, I, I don't know if it's a, um, if it
1: changes a ton for me, I mean, I don't, I don't think one of those programs is going to come in and immediately compete for a big 12 title. I think that's, you know, all four of them are going to fill the middle of the big 12 with quality teams. Um, I, I wonder what BYU looks like in this conference. I'm not as maybe bullish on their future as some may be. I think they may have a hard time fitting. It's a big brand, but they may have a hard time fitting in and then you look at like a Houston who's who's pretty down right now. UCF had a decent year but nothing, you know, to write home about. Um and then Cincinnati who again, decent year, but it was decent. So again, I don't think any of those right. I don't think any of those are a threat to Oklahoma State's ambitions and aspirations as a program which are championships. Um I would be more concerned about TCU playing in a national title here in in a week. And- uh, and how they've recruited recently. I mean, that would be more concerning to me than any of the newcomers in the Big 12. So,
0: Yeah, I, I think I agree, Kate. I, I probably won't even add anything to that. I think that was a great answer. I love so when I, I leave you speak that, that
1: way. I love it.
0: <laughs> uh, next, we've got Brody Smith at Brody W. Smith. He says, if you were magically made head coach during this offseason, what mm-hmm. three things would you keep in place and what things would you change immediately? So maybe just for sake of time and since we kind of answered something similar from Carly, say maybe one thing on each side. So something something I would keep in place is I, I would not make any changes, I don't think, at this time to the defensive staff. I really like I don't I don't love everything the defense did this year, but I think you gotta give Mason a little bit more time. I think you gotta give Joe Bob with the linebackers a little bit more time. Obviously, Hammer, Duffy, Richmond; those guys have been there. But I think that that staff just kind of meshing together with Mason. I would love to see another year. I would hate to make any drastic moves there. I don't think they will. But if you're just asking me, it you know, I've, we've seen some things that maybe we should move on from Mason, things like that. And I yeah. definitely don't think that at all. And then something that I would change immediately, I think I would immediately change the way the run game is kind of operating, I think you've got to add in some more creativity. You've got to add in some more gap scheme type runs, mix it up a little bit. Or if you don't want to do that, you've got to figure out a way to get a better kind of, rounded out running back room that's able to effectively operate this scheme like we've seen a Jalen Warren, a Chuba Hubbard, and a Justice Hill do. And I know I'm listing off NFL caliber guys, but that's what we've had over the last five, six seasons. So whether it be schematically or the way you're recruiting in the transfer portal, not high school and developing those running backs something has to change in the run game and i'm sure that's yeah i mean that's kind of a cop out answer because that was the worst part of oklahoma state's team this year but that would be the one thing i would change immediately i don't think it's a cop out at all i
1: i think if if it were if it's me answering the question i think one of the things i would change on the you know on the defensive side of the ball is maybe focus on where they're recruiting. I mean, the defensive line recruiting over the last several years has been lackluster at best. I think they have been riding on, you know, the Jaden Jernigan's and Israel Antwines and, uh, you know, Brennan Evers, Colin Oliver. There was reason to feel pretty good about what you had there. I do wonder if the transfer portal maybe snuck up on them in a way with, you know, or, and maybe I shouldn't be so generic or specific. I think those early departures from a Jaden Jernigan, Israel Antwine, probably snuck up on them to where they weren't recruiting the way they should have been in that regard. So if it were me, I would have changed that then and I would double down and, and recruit like my hair's on fire in the portal right now for defensive linemen and, and in high school. But I would look at the portal immediately for depth guys and immediate starting potential. I would think I would take two to three like this year at at that defensive tackle spot. (laughs) So I think it's a great call out offensively. I totally agree with you on the scheme, you know, in the running game. I I want two running backs. I want two running backs in the backfield once. I mean, I I think especially if you have an, an Ollie Gordon type and then a Jaden Nixon type. Those are two guys that you need to probably account for when they're set behind a, you know, in the past, a Spencer Sanders, which is when I started really thinking, why are they not doing this more? Why are they not doing some of these zone read flip out into the flat to the other running back that you see everybody else do? I'd love to see more of that.
0: Your your Dallas Cowboys do it. Green Bay Packers do it, and I know we're talking about NFL and guys that are some of the best running backs in the league. But when you see you know Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon and then a Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott on the field at the same time, a lot it does make you wonder what some of those twenty twenty one personnel sets would look like. And you know they did it a few times last year, and we called it out. But it, it is something, and I know there are negatives. I know there are cons to doing that, but I do think it would be a nice change of pace to do it, you know, five, six times a game.
1: Yeah. I, th- I, I, I'm looking at it as a tendency breaker. I think Oklahoma state needs creativity. So it's a little bit of a piggyback on your answer. I think the creativity comes in formations and alignment, um, you know, it's it's tough because you you said exactly what I was thinking, but I'd love to see more gadget plays from, you know, I it stinks because Braylon's not on the roster anymore. But if you would have lined him up at receiver where I want him, I think he would have been a really good fit in a more creative, opened up offense. So um, I would also get rid of the cowboy back like tomorrow. That's my
0: yeah. maybe hot take. No. Hey, I like it. I like it. We've talked a lot of tight ends on this pod, probably more than, <laughs> than yeah. we have ever. I kinda, I like it. Okay, um, we've got two that are kind of similar that we've already hit on, but just wanted to shout out both these guys because they're both friends of the pod and actual friends. So Robert Dennis at RT Dennis, my guy Robert, thanks for sending this in. He's asking latest on Brennan Armstrong, more OL transfer help on the way. But actually one part of his question I think we could hit, he said, does Gundy have a portal type? And he says, very productive player from G5. And I think they do. You know, we talked about with Adam Lunt kind of joking, kind of serious, the high school players on bad teams in good players on bad teams. With the portal, we've talked about this. I I think they look for really, really experienced, productive, but maybe not like the best players ever, productive G5 players. I think that's kind of where they're, looking right now in the portal this is where we've seen a lot of these offers come from these kind of group of five teams like a sean tyler and i know deshaun stripling was power five but from a team that's maybe not you know not the best team as at a washington state but they're offering like the dalton coopers and players like this and i'm fine with it because they are landing these guys i mean they've landed seven guys out of the portal and we'll see how it kind of how it plays out with their performance on the field but sometimes you can't just swing at the top guys in the portal every time if the alabamas and the ohio states are also going after these guys so i think it's a kind of smart move on the oklahoma state's coaching staff part Now, I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but I like it. And I I do think that is his, their kind of type right now. I think they're wanting guys that they think are going to work hard. Like, I think
1: if you go to a Western Michigan and you ball out or you go to a Texas state and you're a two team, all sunbelt. You you are probably a pretty hardworking type of player. I think it's probably a culture thing. I also think the G five All Star thing is a little bit derogatory. Like there there are a lot of good football players that play at a lower level than Oklahoma State, and there are a lot of a lot of that are like, in the NFL that are all over the place in the NFL. So I I I don't love that because I think it's actually what Oklahoma State like recruits a lot of out of high school is the kind of guys that go that don't maybe don't quite get the offer from Oklahoma. State and then they get developed and then they turn into a quote unquote G5 All-Star. So I I don't really like that because it's it's really what Oklahoma State does in high school recruiting. So and I know you didn't say that. I see that all over the place. So yeah, um, it's just it's just funny. But yeah, I, I I think it's a culture thing, number one. Um, and then obviously a scheme thing. Um, I Dalton Cooper, Sean Tyler, uh, Justin Wright. Those are all just like plug and play fits. They they clearly are identifying Anthony
0: Goodlow. Yeah, the, all those guys, guys
1: that they uh, didn't pull out of high school, but you know they're they're getting the four stars in the portal. So it's like you're looking at high school recruiting rankings and like where are the four and five stars? Well, they're coming in via the portal. So it's just interesting. It's a shift in in mentality.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, our buddy Joel was the other one of our buddies that asked the question about the portal. We hit this a lot, so we won't hit it again, but Joel at JT Penfield was asking about quarterbacks out of the portal, so we talked a lot about that earlier. Um, Eric the Lockman at Casey Lock and Key says, is Tim Rattay an OC option? Not 100% sure about his coaching background. I know he has never been an offensive coordinator. He was He's been quarterbacks coach at Oklahoma State. He was with the Washington Redskins, Louisiana Tech. And then he was wide receivers coach at Louisiana tech. And then I think he did a couple of things before that, but nothing, nothing offensive coordinator wise, but I mean, Casey Dunn wasn't either until we gave him that, but I, I don't, I don't really see that happening. I do think it's a good question, but I just wanted to hit his coaching background a little bit there. Cause I saw this question earlier and yeah. pulled that up.
1: I'm going to go with no, <laughs> I, I would not be fired up about that in the slightest.
0: Yeah. Uh, Corbett Klein, at Corbett Klein, thanks for the question. He says, what kind of draft grade do you expect Jason Taylor to get, and Mm -hmm. what grade do you think would cause him to come back to Oklahoma State? Mm,
1: I expect him to be... Man, and this is... I I haven't even looked into this, but maybe fourth to sixth round? I know that's pretty broad, but I could see him doing really well at the combine and improving that draft stock, but if it comes back at sixth to undrafted he might come back but what what more can he do in college to improve that draft stock
0: that see Kate, that's kind of my thing on this i think he actually will perform fairly well at the combine i'm not 100 percent sure on the 40 time but he's very athletic so i think he'll hit if he can get a good 40 time i think he'll do well invert jump and everything like that But I think he's a sixth-round guy. If you make me pick one round, maybe fifth, sixth, possibly even an undrafted free agent, just with what we've seen from Oklahoma State defensive players. I know Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper are trying to change that narrative But and Christian Holmes, but I don't think it's going to change after one year. So if he were to be drafted any higher than the fifth round, I would be pretty shocked. I think that's what his grade is going to be around that sixth round. But... I don't know what he can do after coming off an All-American year, what else he can do. So I think the only reason he would come back is just to maybe bump it a little and maybe, you know, just because he wants to finish it out at Oklahoma State. But I honestly don't see it happening.
1: Yeah, I agree with you for every reason you just said. I don't see why he would i mean with the amount of interceptions he had i think he's put so much on film that's going to show his ability to cover in space which i would think is the thing that they're going to want to see the most in the nfl like yeah you're going to bring your safeties up and run support sometimes but maybe not near the the way oklahoma state does at times so um I, to me i would i would wonder what he's going to do um because I, I don't see a reason to come back to improve that draft stock. I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense.
0: Yeah, and originally you and I thought he was probably coming back. We'd seen some reports, but I just don't think so now. It is a little weird that he hasn't said yet, so maybe there's a chance, but I still don't really see it. Um, next question we have is from Pistol Pete Stash at Pete Pete Stash. He's asking dream scenario for OSU coaching changes. He said somewhat realistic, not like saving saving coming over but still shoot high. Kate, I am so bad at these questions cuz <laughs> I don't even know who would be like available or who would even want to make the jump to Oklahoma State. Not saying that people wouldn't. I just I I don't have an answer to that. The, any of the questions today I didn't get a good chance to look into and we we are into the questions from today. So I don't really have anybody off the top of my head, do you?
1: Well, I think there's probably a lot of people
0: screaming in their car
1: right now. Say Garrett Riley. So I'll say it. I would think that he would be the kind of guy that probably wouldn't leave TCU for a Eastern Michigan head coaching job. Because I think he's going to be a hot commodity and coaching maybe this offseason if it's not this offseason it's next because i would think you look at like the way oklahoma handled bob stoops to lincoln riley it was a lincoln riley was the guy he was literally like head coach in waiting and everybody in the program knew it I, I would think that when when the time comes that oklahoma state does move on from mike gundy whenever that may be i would hope they handle it the same way they go get their guy let them hang out in the program and then move it on because that, that was yeah. one of the, and I hate to say this it was one of the better transitions I've ever seen in college football head coaching. And I think what you saw with Brent Venables this year is actually how it normally goes. So I like Garrett Riley a lot. He's kind of the Graham Harrell that I think Graham Harrell, he, he may just be an offensive coordinator forever. I don't know. He may just like that. I don't really know, but it's gotta be an offensive guy. It's gotta be a young guy. Um, and I would I would start with those two.
0: That's a great answer. Thank you for saving me there. Cause <laughs> I didn't have anybody off the top of my head. That's a great answer though. I think Garrett Riley would be a would be the guy if like Gundy were to just say out of nowhere, hey, I'm gonna retire. That right. would be a kind of big time git, I think, at this point. So I, yeah. I like that. Garrett
1: Riley, um, here's three and a half million dollars.
0: Come be the coach at Oklahoma <laughs> State. <laughs> uh Brian Metcalf at Brian J. Metcalf says, Where would you like Spencer to land? At among the schools needing a QB? Brian, I mean, Cade may have a different answer. I I, I don't, don't want, him want him to go, him to go anywhere. anywhere. So, so yeah. I'm not going to be able to answer that question. Yeah. So, Grayson McCall returning to coastal Carolina. What do our chances look like for a Spencer return? I think I said 30% earlier, but I, I think it's a legit possibility. I still don't know if I think it's going to happen. But from what we're hearing, there's a tiny, maybe small chance.
1: Well, I mean, I can just sit here and let you talk until you finally believe in yourself and then talk yourself into it. Cause <laughs> I do, do I do like it. I, I'm not gonna hold my breath, but it would be one of the, I mean, it's like the Undertaker gif. Like when he sits up out of the car, co- it's like it would be an all time, you know, player returning moment. It would be up there with like the Marcus Smart coming back to Oklahoma State for his second year. It would be like that. And I'll say this it would undo everything it would be like it never happened the is intact go win a championship it it would it would literally be like it never happened i think
0: yeah yeah no i agree it it would be so awesome we'd have to dedicate an entire podcast just us cheering for like 45 minutes if that I, happens so I, completely I think that'd be awesome um the, michelle at bellapoke i just wanted to shout out michelle for asking the question but she basically asked the exact a uh, very similar question <laughs> to brian SS is posting a lot of nostalgic team photos of himself makes me think he's not quite out of the portal door just yet. Michelle, Boy, there's dream. a theme we, here. Yeah. I think there's a tiny little baby chance, but I would I wouldn't get anybody's hopes up yet. Please don't get your hopes up because I'm probably even over exaggerating the the slightest chance that there is in a little bit. So, uh and then Kenny Hurst is our last one at KR Hurst how would a different blocking scheme help hurt OSU running game? We talked a lot about this on the last podcast, you know, with that rule change for back blocking when you're outside of the tackle box and, and cut blocking going low on that defensive end, that backside linebacker, it might be helpful to switch more to a, or a gap running scheme where you have a more defined point of attack, but I think you have to look at what Oklahoma state has on the roster with offensive linemen. These are guys that haven't been pulling a lot in recent years. So I think it might have to be more of a gradual change, but I think the gap scheme can also help in the fact that, you know, some sometimes with down blocking that can kind of mask, maybe if you're going up a, against a really big, really physical defensive line, like a Baylor, you can kind of get those down blocks. That'll get a good angle on a bigger guy. So you're able to block him as an offensive lineman, even if you're not as strong as a Siaki Ika. So th- th- they can help in multiple ways, moving more of that gap scheme with the pulling lineman and the down blocking. I'm not saying completely abandon the zone scheme, because we've seen it work so well when you have a type of running back, like a Jalen Warren, who's got great vision. When you've got an offensive line that can block, but I think that would be some of the ways to change things up and just add a little bit more creativity to the run game, along with some of the things Cade and I have already talked about, two back sets and some things like that. Yeah,
1: and I don't, I don't want to uh, be redundant. I think you nailed it right there, Dustin. I I, I don't have a ton to add other than I, I think without a Jalen Warren type of running back and a great offensive line, which Oklahoma State had a really good offensive line for the first half of last year. I, I don't like it. Um, I think you have to have a, a really good, 2 great offensive line and a running back that can see that cutback lane. And it's, it's easier said than done. I'll, I'll, I'll give the benefit of the doubt to that. Um, you know, a lot of teams do go to that pro style if you can run it. So um, to me, I think the proof is simple and I think you nailed it.
0: So thanks so much, everybody, for the questions. We really appreciate it. We wanted to go back and hit the ones from last week because Caden, Caden and I, probably more my fault, <laughs> Went really long I on, the bowl, on the bowl on the recap and missed some of those questions because we had a hard stop. So wanted to go back and hit those. Thanks guys so much. We'll be it'll be another kind of a little bit longer gap than normal because we won't record until next Wednesday. We've got some travel stuff and schedule things. Cade and I are working with around on the holidays. But uh then we'll get back to kind of that normal cadence of either Tuesday or Wednesday every week and we're, we're ready for basketball, spring sports to start, more transfer portal. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, so keep it locked here with us. Yeah,
1: no question. If you see one of us roaming around gallagher iba Arena this weekend or, or any time this basketball season, say hello. Um, it should be a fun one. Oklahoma State, obviously, as we end the recording here, both teams are in the bonus uh, with, with 10 minutes left. And I think both teams are about to get into the double bonus, so this is going to be an interesting one. It's forty-seven forty. That sounds like a college mean. basketball game. Yeah, no kidding. I, now I see why you love the Thunder so much, and I do too. <laughs> but man, it's sometimes these and and guess who's refing this game, Dustin? It's John Higgins. Yeah, it's Frosted Tips himself. You 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 could smell it from a mile away. All right, let's get out of here before I get myself in trouble. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter at feels like 45 pod. You can follow us on Instagram there as well. You can follow Dustin at Dustragu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Here's to a 2 and a week for Oklahoma State basketball. And we'll see you then. Go pokes.